0: Well, good morning, and we're glad that you're uh, here today on uh, a bright, sunny day. Um, And uh, last week, we started our summer series on the life of David. And today, we're going to continue that as uh, we look at a famous story um, that is maybe one of the most famous stories uh, in all of the Bible. Now, last week, we learned that as a teenager... Uh, David was uh, a shepherd boy. And he was simply out shepherding his sheep. And one particular day, the great prophet Samuel comes up to him and says, I'm going to anoint you, or I'm going to call you to be king. Now, you would think that that happens the next day, but it doesn't. It takes almost uh, 20 Years before that takes place. So, in the meantime, what David does is he simply goes out and he continues to do what he always does, and that is he shepherds some sheep. And, like I said, today we're going to look at maybe one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible the story of David and Goliath. And it's not a fairy tale, it's a real story, and uh, this is how it goes. Let's jump in. It will be on uh, the side screens, uh, chapter 17. Starting in verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socah in Judah and Azekah at Ephizdama. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings, and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in a single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, it's not very surprising that Saul and the Israelites were afraid. I mean, this guy was really tall. He would be like the number one draft pick for the NBA, you know, that's coming up later on this month. And if you added all the different things that he wore, just by himself, he was carrying 200 pounds of armor and gear on himself. And so Saul and all the Israelites see this and they lose heart. They give up. They give in. They say, There's no way that we can go against this guy. And they get depressed and they get discouraged. They become hopeless. They feel helpless in this situation. They get the white flag of surrender and they're like, he's a giant. There is no way we could ever come up against him. And they run away in fear. Folks, today I have a feeling that some of you may be at that same place. You're facing a Goliath in your life. And you look at the Goliath, that that thing that is standing in your way, and you say, there's no way. There is absolutely no way we can overcome this. I can't do anything. And I just want to encourage you this morning, and I want to challenge you to don't give up. Keep plugging along. Keep trying. Because you have no idea what God can do. If you will just hang in there and turn to the power of the living God, because with just one small stone and the power of God, God can overcome any force that might threaten your life. And folks, that's what David did. He simply turned and had a bold heart. He said, I believe and trust in trusting God, despite of the circumstances that are around me. Look at what he said in verse 37. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He had such a defining belief that he thought and he believed at the essence of his DNA that God would take care of him. He would provide for him. That he could be bold for God because he believed in a bold God. And then look at the courageous thing he says in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And when everyone else came up towards Goliath, they ran away. But when David came up towards Goliath, he ran toward him. Now, I believe that every single person in this gym today wants to have a bold heart. They want to have a courageous heart. They want to exhibit that they have a boldness in them because they believe in a bold God. But here's the big idea that I want you to get this morning, and it's this. It takes time to grow a bold heart. It takes time to grow a bold heart. You know, when you look at David's life, you learn that his ability to be bold and to face this giant started a long time before he ever stood face to face with Goliath. But I think the illusion is, for many of us, as we're dealing with this thing called life, is that we say that when the moment comes, when we face that moment, when the giant comes, Then I'll get some real boldness. I'll just kind of pull some boldness out of the blue when that Goliath comes. And the truth is, folks, that if you wait until that moment that you're facing Goliath, if you wait until then, it's probably not going to turn out very good. I read recently about a man who uh, got to the pearly gates of heaven And St. Peter was there waiting on him, and St. Peter asked him, he, he said, well, you know, I've looked, and you haven't done anything particularly good, and you haven't done anything particularly bad, I just don't know what to do with you. I mean, is there one kind of impressive deed that you did in your life? And this guy started thinking about it a little bit, and he's like, well, once... I drove up to a whole bunch of bikers who were threatening this young woman. And I saw this threatening thing, and so I stopped my car, I got out, I went to the back, pulled out of the trunk a a tire iron. And I walked up towards this group, and I saw their leader, and he was big and hairy and ugly, and he had tattoos all over himself. He had a nose ring in his ear. And so I put my hand up and I pulled out that nose ring. And then I looked at them with my tire iron and I said, you leave this young woman alone. And then I pointed at every single one of them. Because if you don't do that, you're going to have to deal with me. And St. Peter was like so impressed. And he said, well... When did this happen? He said, two minutes ago. (laughs) Folks, if you wait for that big, hairy, ugly Goliath to come along, if you wait to get boldness then, it probably isn't going to happen. It's not going to work out very well. Because a bold heart needs to be a little bit bolder each and every day. And in fact, that's what David did. He had several situations in his life that led up to this moment where he had little steps of boldness that he chose to follow. And God used those situations to create a bold heart in David. So for the rest of the time, what I simply want to do is take us through four stages of how you can build or develop a bold heart. How do you build or develop a bold heart? Because I've been thinking about it this week as we've been talking about our heart and wanting to have a heart like David. I want a bold heart. I really do. And I want you guys to have a bold heart. I want us to have a church that is filled with people who have bold hearts, who are willing to do whatever God calls them to do. So let's look at these four stages. The first stage that David faced, and we do too, is just everyday challenges. Just everyday challenges of life. Now, often we don't like these everyday challenges of life, but they actually do provide for us the opportunity to build a bold heart. And David, all those years that he was simply shepherding sheep all around, he wasn't just shepherding sheep, he was growing a bold heart. If you would, uh, we're going to look at verse 34. Now, before we get to that point, what you need to realize is The reason David even gets in the middle of this battle to begin with is because he's shepherding all the sheep. And all of his brothers, all the bigwigs of his family, are in the battle. And his dad says, hey, here's some food and supplies. Take it to them. And so David goes and he sees the battle and what's going on. And then he makes this comment to Saul in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now the reality is when we read this story, we tend to just kind of pass over this entire piece of it. But just stop and think for a moment. Here you are, a teenage kid, You're out in a field, and you're shepherding all of these sheep. And while you're doing this, they're not even your sheep. They're your dad's sheep. And all of a sudden, a bear comes up. And you look at this big bear, and all you have is a stick in your hand. And the question becomes, what are you going to do? Well, most of us in here, would run. We would absolutely run. Now, David could run. I mean, if David run, who's even going to know about it, right? I mean, the sheep aren't going to talk. Sheep aren't very courageous anyways. It's not like they're going to go after the bear, you know? Somebody, though, would have known. Who? David and God. Nobody else would have known except two people. But David stayed and he fought. And it's very, very interesting what David says. He does not say, and I learned that I could defeat the lions and the bears. But he says in verse 37, he said, I learned from the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear can deliver me from this challenge too. Now, here's the deal, friends. You can hear the message that God is faithful a thousand times. You can read every Bible verse that says God is faithful a thousand times. You can sing songs about God being faithful a thousand times. But you will never have that in your bones. You will never have that in your DNA. You will never live it and know it until you finally test it in your life. And no one, no one can do that for you. No one can make you test your faith. Only you can. Friends, lions and bears come after sheep in our lives all the time. Maybe for some of you right now, you have a difficult project at work. And you know that you could procrastinate, you could slough off, you could just kind of do half of it, and no one would maybe even really know. Or, you could say, God, with your help, I'm going after that bear. And your heart would grow a little bit bolder. Maybe some of you are facing a parenting challenge right now. There's a behavior issue in one of your children. And it's headed down a wrong way. And you know you've got to put your thumb on it. And it's going to take energy. And it's going to take some courage. And it's going to take some time to confront it. Now if you want to, you can take the easy route. You can just say, ignore it. That's what all my friends do. They just ignore the behavioral issue. Or you could say, God with your help... I'm going after that bear and that kid because I want them to be obedient. I want them to have a heart like yours. And your heart will grow a little bit bolder. Maybe some of you are married to a real grumpy spouse. Now you could pretend that you don't notice it, that they wake up in the morning looking like an old nasty bear. But you could pray, God, with your help, I'm going to go after that bear I'm married to, you know? Friends, it's in the everyday moments when we're just going through this thing called life that God gives us opportunities and we choose whether or not we'll step up in faith. And those things happen, folks, when no one's looking. I'll just tell you a story myself. This past week, I was rushing around getting ready to go to t-ball practice for my daughter Jordan. I had to pick something up at Marsh before I uh, got there. I get in the line and I don't have that little card that is supposed to save you a billion dollars, you know? And they're asking me, do you have that card? I'm like, I have the card. I just don't have it with me. These are my wife's keys. She does not have the card. And they said, well, sir, we're sorry. We can't, you know, we can't give you the card. And I just want to wring the person's neck at that point. Ninety cents, you know, for the card. Come on, give me the card. Well, there's a lady behind me who has a card. And she says, well, you can use my card. And in that moment, folks, I felt a prompting from God. She's only got five or six groceries right there. Just pay for them, Chris. And here's my test. Here's my small little act of being bold. It's not very big at all. Most people would say, who cares? But for me, it was a small little thing, and I just walked right on out of the store. Because I didn't have time. Folks, if you wait until the moment that you face your Goliath you probably won't work out very well. But if you are bold in all the moments that God gives to you of small little acts of doing kindness and love and being bold for God, when that Goliath comes, folks, it's never as big as you think it is. When everyone else ran, David didn't. He realized that in the everyday moments that he was building a bold heart and that God was faithful and that God would provide. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing with the everyday challenges of life? Are you growing a bold heart? Here's the second stage in which you build a bold heart. In the face of criticism and opposition. You grow a bold heart in the face of criticism and opposition. Now we already learned that David had been sent by his father to bring supplies to the rest of his brothers. And as David does this, he's bringing all these supplies, and he walks up and he sees what's going on. And he hears the Israelites talking about this big guy and all of these Philistines defying the Israelite army. Now King Saul, who didn't want anything to do with Goliath whatsoever, In fact, he had developed this program in which he said, anyone who will go and will uh, fight Goliath and kill him, I'll give them one of my daughters, named Michael, I will go ahead and give you a tax-free exemption for the rest of your life. And you would think there would be many people that wanted to step up, but no one had seen exactly what Goliath was, And when they or they had all seen who Goliath was, and when they saw him, they're like, I'm not doing that. No one will step up. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they'd been saying before. You get a tax break, you get his daughter, you get a lot of wealth. This is what will happen to the man who kills him. And then look what it says in verse 28. When Eliab, who was the oldest of David's brothers, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, folks, all of these are just cheap shots at David. Why did he come to the battle? That would help if you told me why. Like That makes me feel good like you were actually listening, maybe. Why, why did David have to come to the battle? Because his father had sent him, right? To bring food for everybody else. And um, the Scripture tells us that there was someone that was already there taking care of the sheep that he had left behind. And David's like, I'm just being obedient to dad. I'm just doing what people told me to do. So the question becomes, why does Eliab treat David so badly then? Well, this is what I think. I think that Eliab and the rest of his brothers became so dominated by Goliath that that's all they thought about. That they had got this Goliath kind of sickness. Goliath dominated their world. I think every single time that Eliab walked out and he saw how big Goliath was, he just lost a little bit more heart. And every time that he didn't respond and turn to God and say, God, we can do this, he lost a little bit of heart. And he feels like such a coward in front of this big giant because he's supposed to be the giant of his family because he's the oldest. And every time he walks out and he sees this, and I think every single day that he saw Goliath, he just died a little bit more each day. And folks, this went on for 40 days. They would walk out and see and retreat back. Now, I don't think he minded so much being around his other brothers. Because he was around his other brothers, they were all scaredy cats too. They were all cowards together. But when David walked up, and David was bold and courageous in the midst of this, that's when all of a sudden, Eliab started feeling ashamed. And he felt small. And he wasn't able to love. You know, this is what I've learned in my life, folks. That most of the time, Fear of Goliath is greater than facing the Goliath in your life. And many of us go through all kinds of energy and stress and worry and anxiety and sleepless nights because we're afraid to face the Goliath in our lives. And we have a fearful spirit. And when you have a fearful spirit, you lose heart. And I think that's what made Eliab die just a little bit more each day. Because I'm telling you folks, that's what fear does to you. It just makes you die a little bit more each day. If you cower, if you shrink back from the Goliath long enough, whatever your Goliath happens to be, pretty soon you start having a loss of self-respect for your own life. Now the way that some people kind of try to avoid this is they just become angry and mean and kind of nasty. Because they got this Goliath, what they do is they find some little Davids around them and they start really treating them bad. Because if I treat other people around me like they're less, then I build myself up. And I think that's what Eliab was doing. He's like, "Well, I'm still bigger than you, David." And so ugh. And I think this is where judgmentalism and criticism always comes from. And this is what Eliab shows to David. Now, I want to tell you this. David could have wasted tons of time and tons of energy on his older brother he could have got right back to him and said, no, 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 no. I'm doing what dad told me to do and la la la, And just spend all this energy and time bickering back and forth because we do that. But he knew that wasn't his purpose. He knew that's not what his battle was. His battle wasn't with his criticizing older brother. Look at what it says in verse 29. Now what have I done? Said David. Can I even speak? Look what it says next. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. He turned away to someone else. Notice what David does. He doesn't give in to Eliab. He doesn't feed the flame for him. He doesn't go out and get his slingshot ready for Eliab. He just doesn't listen to unfair criticism. He just says, that's not going to have much power in my life. He turns to someone else. He gets on with his mission. He goes forward. He doesn't get sidetracked. And his heart, in the midst of that, grows a little bit bolder. Now let me ask you guys this morning, how do you do with handling criticism? Let me ask it in a question. That way we're all kind of on the same page. How many of you have ever been criticized in your life before? Raise your hand. All right. I'm not alone. then. Folks, all criticism falls in one of two categories. Either it's accurate or it's inaccurate. And this is the thing. If it is inaccurate, just ignore it. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to say anything. Just ignore it and move on. Now, if it's accurate, then you have to take a second look and take some steps to maybe correct it and move on. Whatever you do, folks, though, when criticism comes into your life, don't lose heart. I had uh, an issue with a person for... Uh, several months one time, and I would just wake up and I was losing heart and I felt bad and things weren't changing all this. And finally, God just told me one morning, He said, Chris, release that person to me. You see, folks, you can't change every single person. So you simply have to release them to God. And you go forward. You know, I think if I were David, though, and I finally said that I was going to take on this giant, I would want people around me to be like, Whoa, bunch! You're taking on the giant! Way to go! We're so proud of you! Go for it! We know you can do it, man! It's almost like they'd have a cheerleading section like, Go, bunch! Go, bunch! You know, I'd be like, yeah! Give me a rock, man! You know? But he doesn't get any praise. What he gets is opposition. But he doesn't bat an eye. And let me tell you something, friends. If you get real serious about trusting this living God, if you get real serious about trusting him and going after Goliaths that are around you, pretty soon you're going to feel, people are going to feel threatened by you and they'll start looking at you and criticizing you and saying things about you. I'll never forget when we started the jar. I said we were going to be a church church of a different mold. And we did all we could advertising-wise to let people know, hey, we're not trying to steal people from other churches. We're here trying to reach out to people who are far from God who, or who have been disconnected from the church for a long time. And I'll never forget a pastor in town, two of them, called me and said how horrible it was that we were trying to steal people from them. And I would say, we're not. We're really not. One guy even sent me an email, posed as another person, and said how much he thought this was horrible that we would actually have church in a gym. I'm just telling you, folks, when you start doing what God wants you to do, and you do it with a boldness of heart, pretty soon there will be criticism in your life. But you don't have to get sucked in by it. Here's the third stage. You resist the pressure to conform. You simply resist the pressure to conform. So David finishes this conversation that's not much of a conversation with his oldest brother, Eliab. And word gets around the camp that David is going after Goliath. I mean, here is this little teenage pimple pusher with pimples on his face, not looking all that tough at all, scrawny, skinny, and people are saying, yeah, David's going to do it. And finally, the word comes to Saul, the king. And look at what it says in verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now look at what Saul says. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from your youth. Now stop and think about that just for a second. Just imagine what courage David must have had. What courage and presence of mind. It's like going to the President of the United States and you have to persuade that person to say, you're wrong and I'm right. And that's what he does. David says, the reality is God has been faithful to me since I was born. He's been faithful all along and he'll be faithful for me now even though it seems like this giant is really big. Then look at what it says in verse 37. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, we don't know if this was sarcastic like, go ahead, little kid. Get the the, uh, coffin ready. We're going to need one here in a little bit. We don't know. Maybe he was being sincere. We don't know. But he gives him permission, nonetheless, to go on. And then look at what happens in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Again, folks, you've got to picture this. Here is Saul, this great warrior. He's been in many battles. He stands head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel, Scripture says. And as a special gift, he gives all of his armor and his gear to David. And he puts it on David, and all of a sudden David's like this. Oh, this is kind of heavy. I can't walk like this. And David had to do a very bold thing, folks, because this was an honor. I read a theologian this week that it said, you know, David was like a 52 long and David was a 36 short, you know. And now all of a sudden he has to put all this stuff on and he's walking out. And Saul is an impressive man. David is just a little kid. Saul is a warrior. David's just been talking to sheep. David had not been in a battle in his entire life. And now he's going up the greatest foe of all. And I think if, you know, we read this story, it would have been okay for David to say, well, you know, Saul's been in a lot of battles. It probably makes a lot of sense for me to listen to him and to put all this stuff on because that's really what I should do. And... But he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? Because David knew himself, David knew his enemy, and most of all, David knew his God. And this is so important, folks, when you're building a bold heart. You see, David knew that when he went to face Goliath, he would stand alone. And Saul wasn't going to be there. When he faces Goliath, Saul's not going to be there. His brothers aren't going to be there. His daddy Jesse isn't going to be there. David is going to be there. And David's going to be alone. And folks, when you face a Goliath, you stand alone. It's just you and God. But this is what I want you to remember. One small stone. And the power of God is all you need to overcome the Goliaths in your life. No force of this world can give to you will ever be able to touch that. Now Saul was going to uh, keep David from pursuing the call of his life. Saul was just getting David to be like a, a little uh, miniaturized Saul. That's what Saul's doing. I want you to look like me. Put everything on like me. But David knew that wasn't God's plan. He knew that wasn't his role. I'm not supposed to be a miniaturized Saul. I'm supposed to be David who God called. And friends, at the end of the day, you choose how you will go to battle. You make your own decisions, good, bad, and different. You do that. This is your one and only life. Nobody is going to tell you what to do. You choose your weapon. Not me as your pastor, not your spouse, not your friends, not your family, not your parents. You choose how you'll do it. Because God has gifted you. He's given provision for you. He's given you your time, your possessions, whatever it is. It's really up to you. This is your Goliath. And you will have to face the pressure. How are you going to respond when the pressure hits? Maybe some of you are in a family right now, in which when the family gets together, it's like the gossip train to kill everybody else, gossip wise. Or maybe you're in a group at work. Or maybe you're in a small group. Even here at the church, it happens. And all of a sudden, there has just become this ugly kind of gossip thing that happens around people putting other people down. And the question is, will you have a heart of boldness even in the midst of pressure? Will you be able to say, I treasure community so much that I'm not going to put other people down no matter what? Maybe there's pressure at work for you to do something unethical. Some of the other guys or some of the other women are saying, hey, here," you know, and, and you're kind of left with this decision. What are you going to do? And the question God is asking, are you bold enough to overcome the pressure and say, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm walking away. Maybe you know someone who is uh, disconnected from Christ or the church and uh, You've been feeling this prompting for a long time to share your faith, to let them know. And yet, you shrink back each time because you think, what if they don't like it? What if they get upset? What if I invite them to church and they don't come? What if? What if? And the question is, will you just be bold enough to step out and open up yourself about Christ? Folks, God can do some amazing, great things in your life if you will just be bold enough and not shrink back. Don't let this world squeeze you into what the world says you're supposed to be. Let's break the mold. In fact, let's be a church that breaks the mold and we just do it differently. We do it with a boldness of heart. Pressure's going to come. I guarantee you, when you walk out of here this week... You'll be forced with some kind of Goliath in your life and you'll have to choose what you're going to do about the pressure that's around you. Now, here's the fourth way to build a bold heart. It's during the great crisis moments of your life. You see, folks, during the great crisis moments of your life do you build a bold heart. So David goes to Saul. He says, hey, I'm not going to wear your armor. And then David goes down to this little brook and you've got to picture this. There's like this little valley that's going down like this. And on one side are the Philistines. On the other side are the Israelites. And they're ready to do battle. And all of a sudden, this little pipsqueak teenager starts walking down this way. And he goes to the bottom because there's a brook. There's a river that's down there. And he gets down to the bottom and he starts looking around for some stones. And he finally comes up with five smooth stones. And then he goes, and he walks on up the rest of the edge, and he looks and he sees this giant of Goliath. And this is kind of what the picture would look like. We uh, have a picture. That's what it looks like, just like that. We'll leave it up for a little bit. This is the size of a, a young teenage boy. This is the size of the largest man in the world. Now, I just want you to think about it for a second that you're in David's spot and you come up and you're facing that Goliath. Can you imagine what must have been in his heart and his mind? Now, let's look at when Goliath speaks, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, I don't know why a giant needs somebody in front of him, it's kind of strange. But he has a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and despised him. He said to David, "Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "Come here," he said, "and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the air, or I'll give I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field." If you're not familiar with this, this is called trash talking. It's the first moment in history that we see trash talking. And it happens often when two guys are competing against each other. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord the Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David's like, I'll give your flesh to the birds, and I'll give your flesh to the beast. Not very original. I think you just heard that, right? But he's, he's a young punk. You know, he's just new to this trash-talking stuff, and he's like, well, wow, that sounds really good. I'm going to give that one to you. Now, here's the whole summary of this story in verse 45. It says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Folks, David's entire life led up to this moment. And what prepared David, folks, wasn't his courage. What prepared David was his conviction that God would be with him no matter where he went. And Goliath really didn't count on that. You see, Goliath was really good at fighting against flesh and blood. He could do that any time that he wanted to. Bring on the flesh and blood, I'll take care of that. But all of a sudden, the The God who is the living God. And the power of that living God flowing in this young little teenager was way too much. I mean, can you imagine? You're this giant of a person, and this little scrawny guy comes up to you, and he has a stone, and he's got this slingshot, and he's like, oh, I'm going to take you out. And I'm sure Goliath is thinking, what? You know, you kind of wonder what was the last thought in his head before he went down. Like, I wasn't planning on this. Bam! Hits him in the forehead, he falls down, he dies, Knockout. out, David wins, the battle's over. And I just want you to know this morning, that whoever you are, and whatever you're going through, what God did for David, God can do for you. Today we're celebrating communion. It's a time in which uh, we remember that Jesus took on the giant of sin and he overcame it. 2,000 years ago, sin had defeated people for years and years and years. And finally, Jesus said, no, I'll go to the cross and I'll die. And he took on the giant of sin so that you and I would never have to worry again about past sin, that it was forgiven, it was wiped out. And today there's three tables that are in the back and there's one up here for anyone that's gluten-free. And Jesus Christ owns these tables. They're His. He invites you to them. Regardless of whether you have a relationship or today, you're saying, I'm making one today. And when you go to these tables, I want to invite you to take a piece of this bread and to tear it off and to dip it into the juice and to take and eat. And I want you to receive the fullness of God's forgiveness in your life. I was thinking about it today, you know. I want you to take a couple of moments before you go to the table just to think about what is the Goliath in your life? There's a little place on your teaching outline If you want to fill it in Maybe it's a health issue Maybe you're struggling with something health wise right now Maybe it's a relationship issue Maybe it's a work issue You've been unemployed for a while But there's a big Goliath right now in your life And you've been trying to do it all on your own And you don't need all that stuff You just need one small stone And the power of God and it can overcome anything that you're going through in your life. And so what I'd like you to do is just take a couple of moments asking God for His forgiveness and asking Him for boldness in your life to overcome whatever that Goliath is, to write it down and say, Today, God, I give that to you because I'm trusting in you. And then whenever you're ready, you can come up and take a piece of the bread and juice, take it, and then come back and we'll close out with a song to encourage us all to overcome the Goliaths in our lives. Let's pray. Loving God, I thank you for uh, being with us. There's many other things we could have done today and yet... We chose to be in the presence of the living God and in his community. We thank you, God, that you are a God who never walks away. You never abandon us. When we face the Goliaths, you don't walk away. You stand right there even when we might feel like we're standing alone. Even when we royally screw up, God, you still love us we simply turn to you you forgive us you change us you make us new Jesus today some of us are facing a big Goliath I pray right now that people would be writing whatever that thing is they don't need to show it to anyone but you know what it is God you're just waiting for them to open up and say this is it God I know you know help me to have a bold heart we need your strength, God. We need your courage. So, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you come through your power. You work in people's lives. That we might receive not only your forgiveness today, God, but a boldness of heart to face the Goliath in our lives.